Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. This morning, we are kicking off a mini-series within a series. So in the month of July, we are doing what's called um, Summer at OSC. That's our series, if you will. But I want to teach on a topic in this series that's a little bit different than our normal approach. Especially as of late, I've been really teaching a lot of expository um, things from the Bible, meaning I've been been taking books and breaking them down verse by verse by verse. I want to take a little different approach and even, I'm not even as much going to preach to you in this series as I am having a sincere desire to equip you in this series. Does that make sense? I want to equip you with some things in this series that hopefully is a blessing to you in, in many areas of your life. Now, in this summer at OSC, um, every weekend for the next few weekends, we're going to have something fun after service. I want to encourage you to hang back. Don't just leave and rush to get to the new McAllister's. Take your time. Like we're going to have some things here after church outside where you can just get to know one another. You can just connect like a family because again, that's what families do, right? They connect with one another. And I want you to meet your weird cousins. I want you to talk to that person that when you see them in Walmart, you're doing this because you're like, I know them, but I don't know their name. I want you to actually get to know their name. And so after service today, we have, as Damar mentioned, Cokes on the lawn. And so we're just going to have free Cokes and free um, waters and Christian beverages out there, (laughs) excuse me, for you to connect with and get to know one another. Now next week, I want to give you some heads up about next week. Next week, we're going to have what's called lemonade and lays so what i mean by that is we're going to be giving away free lays and we're going to have lemonade out there and i'm encouraging everyone in our church to wear something hawaiian wear something hawaiian also christian so don't show up in a hula skirt okay godly hawaiian people But your pastor will be in a a Hawaiian shirt as well, minus the hula skirt. And, um, but it's going to be a fun time of just, again, connecting and hanging out, just a Hawaiian theme type service, after service, excuse me. Um, And we're going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And so let's get back into this. We live in a day and time where you can learn about or get information just about anywhere. We live in what's called the, informa- the information age. And you can find out about almost anything in the world that you want to find out about. That's the day and time that we live in. You can literally spend hours of your day Googling information that you will never use. Just think about this. The, that title, prior, prior to 10 years ago, maybe 10, maybe 15 years ago, there was no such word as Googling. But now it's a common part of our language. When you don't know how to do something, what do you do? You Google it, right? And so you can spend hours and hours Googling useless information that you will never use. One of my personal favorite ways of of doing this besides Googling is I love YouTube. I love YouTubing information and YouTubing and finding out different things. For me, YouTube is like that mechanically inclined uncle that we all wish we had. It's that, that, that person you wish you had in your life to just teach you stuff. Some of y'all actually had that uncle. But that, that person that could just teach you how to use your hands. The person that could teach you how to fix that thing. It's that uncle we all wish that we had. And when I don't know how to do something, I've told y'all this many times, I won't necessarily read the instruction manual, but I will watch a YouTube tutorial. I'll go to YouTube and just try to find out, how do I do this? How do I do this? And many of you do the exact same thing. Now, if you've done this, just confess it in church because I know that I have. There have been moments when I've said, babe, I'm not going to pay anybody to fix that. I'll take care of it. 
baby, you don't know how to fix a washer and dryer. You don't know how to fix a dishwasher. I'll YouTube it. And you go and you YouTube it and you get about halfway done the 20 minute video and you go, yeah, go ahead and call them. <laughs> I'll just pay for it. Because we, we have the right idea. Like, yeah, I'll just figure out how to, and they make it sound so simple. I was in the middle of getting ready to try to fix my dishwasher and they were like, this is a very, very simple process. Just do this and this and then this and then get the crane and then all of a sudden bring the bulldozer. And I'm like, whoa. Kind of like those, some of y'all saw a meme not too long ago. It's a very, very funny meme. It's like those simple recipes. Or they tell you they're simple. Like, let me give you a very simple, easy lunch recipe. Step number one, go outside, milk your goat. <laughs> they're not simple at all. But we can find out useless information just about anywhere online. And we can learn how to do these things, but the problem is we don't often do them. We just like to learn about them. Now, the problem with having lots of knowledge is when you have it, and again, you don't use it. There's nothing wrong with having knowledge, but having knowledge that you don't use is a handicap. It fills your mind with a bunch of information that you never use. So it doesn't allow you to actually do anything or you don't, you're not filling it up with stuff that you will actually apply to your life. You're just filling up your mind with a bunch of knowledge. I wanna talk about something in this series that may sound like knowledge, but it's not. We're gonna talk about wisdom in this series. I wanna talk about wisdom. Pastor, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? I'm so glad you asked. The Hebrew word for wisdom is the word chukmah, chukmah. See, that's, for some of y'all, that's not useless information. I'm going to break it down in a moment. But it's chukmah, and chukmah is the word, what we, we translated it as wisdom. But there's so much more to this word chukmah than wisdom. Because another definition of the word chukmah is a person who is skilled or skilled laborer. In the ancient times, in biblical Hebrew times, when a person had a trade, they had something that they were good, they were craftsmen, they, they had chukmah. So it was much more than just the know-how or the knowledge of something, it's having the knowledge of it and actually using it. Putting it into practice. Another way of saying that is wisdom is not just knowledge, wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom is when you have the knowledge and you apply it to your life, you apply it to your situation and you do something with the knowledge that you have. Are y'all with me this morning? It's applying that, it's putting it into practice. And so I wanna talk about that wisdom this morning. I wanna talk about some very practical things in this series because there's a very practical book in the Bible and this practical book in the Bible has a lot to say about a lot of different areas in your life. And that book is called the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs is what scholars call, we categorize the genre of wisdom literature. It's literature that was written to make you wise. And the book of Proverbs from the very beginning tells you what its purpose is. Its purpose is to give you wisdom. It's to make you wise. As a matter of fact, the word wisdom is used over 120 times in the book of Proverbs. It's there to teach you how to gain knowledge, but to how to apply it to your life and actually flesh out a very wise lifestyle with the blessings and the benefits that come from that. So over the course of the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about wisdom. And I'm gonna talk about some very practical things. And the majority of the things that I talk about, let me be very clear up front, are not heaven or hell, make it or break it things. A lot of the things that I talk about have no bearings on whether or not you go to heaven or you go to hell. Some of them do, but the large majority of them don't. But they will determine whether or not you live in hell here on earth. 
They will determine how tough and how difficult life can be because you keep making unwise choices. So it's going to be very, very practical, and I hope, hopefully this is a blessing to you. But I want to, as your pastor, not only equip you with things that make you better spiritually, I want to equip you with things that make you better in life. I want to help equip you on how to make wise decisions because they are very, very godly people who heaven is their home, and that's where they're going, but they're living miserable lives here on earth because they've continuously sowed bad seeds into their life. And God does not want that. As a matter of fact, there's a book that I read probably 15 years ago. And the book was called The Best Question Ever. It was by a guy named Andy Stanley. And it was called The Best Question Ever. And for like the first four chapters of the book, he doesn't tell you what the question is. So he only makes you mad. He just keeps telling you how great the question is going to be. And then around probably chapter five, he actually tells you what this question is. And here's the question. Not what's right, what's wrong, not can I get away with this, not will this make people happy. The best question ever that we can apply to our lives is what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? If we would apply that question to our lives, we would save ourselves a lot of headache and a lot of drama. If we would have made the decision, most of the worst decisions we make are the decisions we make without thinking them through. How many of you have decisions you've made in your life that you look back on now and you go, dear God, I wish I would have made a different decision. I wish I would have thought about that. I wish I would have listened to them. Wisdom making wise decisions. Now, from the very beginning of creation, God has instilled wisdom into our world. Wisdom is in the very foundations of how God created the world. The system of wisdom, if you will, is interwoven into the very nature of who, how our world operates. If you, the world is governed by wisdom. If you want to live well, you have to have wisdom. As a matter of fact, that's the title of my message. Live, living well. Living well. If you're taking notes, write that down, living well. And again, God does not just want to speak to spiritual areas of our life. He wants to speak to the whole of our lives. And so I'm going to begin going over just a few very quick memorable statements that hopefully you can apply to your life. Are y'all ready? Yes. All five people in the front three rows. Are y'all, the rest of y'all ready? Yes. Okay, good. Let's begin. I want to begin where the Bible begins with this. Proverbs chapter one, verse one, it says this. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Let me stop there. Who was King Solomon? Obviously he was, the Bible just told us he was the son of David. And David, many of you know, was the great king in Israel's history. He killed Goliath. We know these things. But his son Solomon sat on his throne after him. And one night, his son Solomon, who had just become the king, the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he asked Solomon, Solomon, what do you want me to do for you? Ask me for anything. Can you imagine having God ask you that question? What do you want? Solomon said, God, I just want to govern your people well. He said, God, I just, I need to know right from wrong. I want to know how I can wisely serve your people. And God was so pleased. He asked for an understanding heart. He asked for wisdom. God was so pleased with him that God made him the wisest man to ever live. Apart from Jesus, no man who's ever lived has been wiser than King Solomon. He was the greatest king in his day, and he was the wisest man to ever live. So as we start reading these things, we are reading the words of the wisest man to ever live. And so God not only gave him great wisdom, but he gave him riches. He gave him fame. He made him a great king. This is who we're listening to. Verse 2. Their purpose, speaking of the Proverbs, their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. 
These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those who understand receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and these parables. The words of the wise and their riddles. The fear, excuse me, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. There's so much to be said right out, right out the gate in the beginning. But Solomon says the purpose of these Proverbs is to teach us wisdom. And then he says something else, and discipline. The purpose of these things is to teach us wisdom and discipline. And we're going to get to discipline in a moment because you may have never seen those two things together, but they are very much connected. And he says to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. I want you to hear something. You can have a successful life. And you may, I'm not giving you some prosperity gospel. I'm not saying if you give me a thousand dollars, you're going to be a millionaire tomorrow. I'm not saying any of that. And success is relative to whatever stage and condition of life that you're in. But wherever you're at, you can be successful at it. You can be successful in that if you will apply the principles of wisdom to your life. He says that even those who are wise, if you listen to wisdom, you'll become even wiser. See, these things are not just for people who don't have any wisdom. These things are for the people who have wisdom because the people who are wise end up becoming wiser. Because wisdom takes humility. If you're going to be a wise person, it takes humility. It takes you understanding that you don't know everything. Some of the most foolish people in the world are the people who believe they're the experts. The people who get to the point where they say, I've learned everything I need to know about this topic or I'm an expert in this and you've capped yourself and you won't allow yourself to learn from anybody else and therein is where your demise happens. That the wise become wiser. Wisdom takes humility. I'm gonna get to that in a moment. But here's the most important part about what he's saying. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. The fear of God, the fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. It's where it all starts. We should all have a healthy, reverential fear of God. Why? Because he's God. We should all have a healthy reverence and respect and fear of God. Now, what is this talking about? It's talking about recognizing that we're human and he's God. We're gonna be right sometimes and wrong sometimes. He's always going to be right. Why? Because he's God. And that he created the system of right and wrong. So if we're going to be wise and we are going to be right, we have to agree with what he said. Because if we agree with what he said, that's what makes us right. That's what the fear of the Lord is. And I'll be honest with y'all. There are some decisions that I make because I love people. There's some other decisions that I make because I love God, even when I don't want to love people. And there are some decisions that I make solely because I fear God. Because I honor and reverence him. Because I know he's right even when I don't understand. And I know he's right even when I disagree. And I know that God created the earth with a system of sowing and reaping that will never go away. The Bible says this in Genesis, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest. Meaning that in the the cycle and the system, how God's done it is there is a part of the world, excuse me, the world, excuse me, is governed in such a way that what you put in the ground, you reap. What you sow, you reap. If you put apple seeds in the ground, you're not getting a fig tree. Right? I wish it was set up where if you put hamburger in the ground, you get filet mignon. God's got a different way of doing that. 
But as long as the earth remains, there's seed time and harvest, meaning that if you sow good seeds, you reap a good harvest. If you sow bad seeds, you reap a bad harvest. If you sow nothing, what do you get? Weeds. Weeds. So what is your motivation for making wise decisions? The start of it, the beginning should be the fear of the Lord. Reverence for God and recognizing he is God. And it's not, it's not even necessarily that if I do this, God's going to be mad at me and he's going to spank me. Sometimes he will. Why? Because he's a good daddy. And he disciplines those he loves. Sometimes that is the case. Other times it's I'm going to not do this in the fear of the Lord because I know the way he set this thing up. And the way he set this thing up is if I do this apart from his will and I sowed these bad seeds, I'm going to reap from those bad seeds I sowed. As much as I love God, if I'm constantly rude to people, guess what? People won't want to be around me. Why? Because that's what I sowed. Let's get into this. Solomon spends the first nine chapters trying to convince us why we should listen to wisdom. Most of the nine chapters in the, begin, in the book of Proverbs is all about why you should listen. And he says it over and over. You should listen. You should listen. Pay attention. Don't miss this. It's like a constant pre-qualifier. Hey, 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 hey. What I'm about to say is important. And you just like, okay, Solomon, just tell us. And he says it so many different ways. And at one time he says, wisdom is like a woman crying out in the streets. That wisdom is a wise woman who was with God in the very beginning of creation. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter one, verse 20. It says, wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? It's a nice way for saying, why are you being dumb? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. In other words, if you want to be wise, you can be. If you want to have wisdom, God will give it to you. Sometimes the hardest part about gaining knowledge is understanding what you don't know and humbling yourself to receive that. Now, again, God has something to say about every area of our life, and we're going to dive into a lot of these things in this series. Your marriage, your finances, your family, your generosity, alcohol, uh uh-oh, come on, somebody, friendships, work ethic. God has something to say about all of these things. So coming to church is not, just make me feel better, help me not sin. No, no, no. It's let me equip you to live a better life. I'm equip you to live a better life. So let's dive right in. Number one, first one that I want to give you. Gain favor God's way. Gain favor God's way. This is what Proverbs chapter three, verse three says this. It says, never let loyalty, which another way of saying loyalty is reliability, sureness, faithfulness, and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. How many of you have ever met people who everybody just, like, loves them? Like, they just have so much favor. Like, they go places, and people are always, like, paying for their stuff. And they go places, and people just want to be around them. Like, they just don't even know why they like them so much. They just favor them and like them. How many of you have ever met somebody like that? Who do y'all hang around with if y'all have never met anybody like that? Like four people. Like. But many of us have asked that question. How do you get that? I'll tell you how you get favor. Number one, by doing a lot of favors. People who have favor have favor because they've done a lot of favors. They've served a lot of people. They've helped a lot of people. And there's an element of being loyal that is lost in our culture today. If you want favor, be a loyal person. Because right now, most people aren't loyal. Most people are in it for themselves. 
And so when you, when people are looking for someone that they can trust and they can open up to, when they find a loyal person, they will open up, they will trust, and they will give favor to that person. Why? Because they know that person is loyal to them. Now, as I talk about loyal, let me, let me just get rid of some of the, the, dis, the dysfunctional excesses. I'm not talking about someone who's abusive. You're not loyal to that. You should not be loyal to that. I'm not talking about someone who demands loyalty from you. I'm not saying be loyal to that. But what I'm saying is when you find someone who is worth you being loyal to, you be loyal to them. Because that's your decision to make. And the opposite of being a loyal person is a person who has what I like to call me-itis. It's all about me. I will step on whoever I have to step on to get to the top. I will manipulate relationships so that I can get what I need to get from you. That is wrong. And can I be honest, and I'm going to, some of y'all this may offend you, but I'm going to go there because I love you and I'm your pastor. If you're a part of a multi-level marketing scheme, don't call me. Because, no, let me just, I'm, I'm just, I'm going there for a minute. And then this may make you uncomfortable, but I want to, I want to help because that's, that's my job. I love you. I'm Pastor Gabe and I'm your friend. <laughs> when you reach out to someone for the sole benefit of what you can get from them, they smell it a mile away. When you're coming to me only because of what I can do for you and help benefit you in that moment, that's not... That's not attractive, that's repulsive. I've had people call me that I've not talked to in three, four years. Hey, I haven't talked to you in a long time. Man, things are going so good. Man, and I'm trying to like connect with them and like, and they get right to it. Okay, yeah, so I'm selling this thing. And I'm not saying that you can't sell stuff, okay? Hear my heart. But what I'm saying is when you're interacting with a person solely off of what you can get from them, that's not loyalty, that's selfishness. That is not how you get favor. That's not how you gain favor in people, in people's lives and from their heart. Are y'all with me? Loyalty is the way that you gain favor. Kindness is the way that you gain favor. Some of us don't have friends and we don't know why. Let me give you a little reason why. If you're consistently rude to people and you make it your goal in life to tell people what's on your mind, be very careful because you may find yourself left alone with with what's on your mind. Kindness is attractive to people. People give favor to people who are kind. Most of the people that you can think about in your mind that constantly have favor with God and with people are people who are kind. They're welcoming. You catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. People want to be around people who are kind. I know this is very practical and very simple, but stop being mean. Stop being a jerk and watch favor come to your life. Wives, I see you looking at your husbands. Some of y'all are like, I hope you're hearing this. But that's how you gain favor. You don't do it by manipulating people, manipulating circumstances. You gain it by being loyal and by being faithful and by being true and kind. That's how you gain favor. Now, someone who these things are said about is Jesus. If we're Christians, we're trying to be like Christ. Luke 2.52, and I'm not going to put it up there, but you can write it down. Luke chapter 2.52 says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man, which begs this point that Jesus was loyal, faithful, true, and kind. Gain favor God's way. Number two, acknowledge God in your decision-making. Acknowledge God in your decision making. Proverbs chapter three, verse five says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. When you're faced with a big decision in life to make, what's the first thing that you do? 
Some of us would say we pray. Others of us would say, I worry. I get concerned. I get off the spreadsheet. I call my best friend. None of those things are wrong. But the first thing you need to do when you're faced with a big decision to make is to hit your knees and acknowledge God. And can I be honest with you, even as a pastor, even in preparation, excuse me, preparing for this message, got a little, I was challenged by that. Because there's some decisions even in my life right now that I have to think back and went, God, you know what? I didn't really seek you on that. I didn't pray about that. I need to acknowledge you in that first before I start making this decision. God wants us to acknowledge him in all our ways and then he will direct our path. And some of us may view this as a restriction. Man, I gotta pray. This is not a restriction. This is a promise. This is a promise that God says, if you are lacking wisdom and you ask me for it, I will give it to you. If what you need is direction, ask me and I'll show you. Now, not all of Proverbs are promises. Most of Proverbs are not promises, they're probabilities. I heard, I heard that recently said, they're probabilities, meaning that they're based off of the system of sowing and reaping. And sometimes you're gonna sow and get 30% back or 60% back or 100% back. Other times, it may not work out. But generally speaking, if you do this, this will happen. But this particular promise This particular proverb, excuse me, is a promise. How do I know that? Because God confirms it again in the book of James. This is what he says. James chapter one, verse five. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person who with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. This is a promise from God. If you need to know what to do, go to him. And he'll give you wisdom. That's why God favored Solomon. Because Solomon didn't say, God, make me rich. God, make me famous. God, make us a powerful nation. He said, Lord, give me understanding. And because he asked God for understanding, God gave him all the rest of those things in spades. Ask God for wisdom. When you don't know what to do, ask him. Some of you are faced with the decision now, what college am I gonna go to? Ask God. God, do I even go to school? Ask God. Do I quit this job? Ask God. Should I marry her? You better ask God. (laughs) And there are moments that God will give you wisdom that isn't necessarily spelled out clearly in scripture. The Bible doesn't tell you what college to go to, but it does tell you ask God for wisdom and he'll give it to you. The next one, put God first in your finances. Put God first in your finances. Proverbs three, verse nine says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats with, will overflow with good wine. Put God first in your finances. Honor him with your finances. I'm gonna be pretty brief on this one, but I want you to hear this. I tell this to single people when they're getting ready to get married and, and I'm, you know, I'm asking the questions about their purity. I say this very simple statement. If you want God's blessings, do it God's way. If you want God to bless your finances, put him first in your finances. Bless him with your finances. And I know people, a lot of people are questioning, I mean, should I give, should I tithe? I'm not sure about this. And I would have the Bible say, listen, putting all of that aside, if you put God first in your finances, he will bless your finances. That's biblical. That's what the Bible says. I've been putting God first in my finances since I was a teenager. And I have not changed and have no plans in changing because I've seen his faithfulness to me. When I honor him with my my finances, he's honored my finances. Are y'all with me? Number four, we're gonna get real practical after this one. But protect your heart. Protect your heart. 
Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Now again, not diving too much into this because we're gonna get to some more of this in the next couple weeks. But we run so fast in life, we do so many things, there's so many moving pieces and so many things to be concerned about. Do you ever stop to just pay, pay attention, excuse me, to the condition of your heart? Do you ever pause long enough to say, what's in there? How's my soul? How am I doing? Let me ask you, how is your soul? Are you mad at anybody? Are you angry? Are you offended and hurt and wounded and can't seem to get past it? Are you living a life bound up in fear? Have you even recognized where your heart is? And part of this is guarding the influences that you allow to get into your heart. There are certain people in your life right now that don't need to be there. Not because they're bad, but maybe they're just bad for you. There's certain things on TV that you don't need to watch. Oh, pastor, you're being legalistic. I'm not. But you need to be legalistic over your own heart. You need to have what we call personal legalisms. What do I mean by that? Meaning this is not something that I can preach and tell you don't ever watch that on TV, but you know if I watch that, this is how this is gonna affect me, so therefore I'm not gonna watch it. It's called guarding your heart. There are certain songs that you should not listen to because it takes you to a place you shouldn't be. It takes you back to that date when you were 17. Don't look at me all holy like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Date when I was 17. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But there's certain things you need to, there's certain, certain music that makes you feel the way, whether it's angry or rage or lust or any of those things that you've got to learn how to protect your heart. And it's not a matter of whether or not that song is right or wrong. It's a matter of whether or not it's wise for you. Guard your heart. Why? Because out of it flows everything in your life. Everything in your life flows out of what's going on in your heart. Let's get real practical. The next, the last two, and I'll be ending soon. Number five, very practical, very wise. Don't co-sign other people's debt. I'm looking at the people who are clapping and most of them are older and wiser and have been there. (laughs) Don't co-sign other people's debt. Proverbs chapter six, verse one says this, my child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger, if you have trapped yourself, listen to the language, if you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you said, Follow my advice and save yourself, for you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride, go and beg to have your name erased. Don't put it off, do it now. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. That's the language that the Bible uses when you co-sign someone else's debt. If you want to know the fastest way to end a friendship, co-sign for that friend or lend that friend money. When you co-sign for someone, it's not that it's right or wrong, it's that it's dumb. It's not wise. When you do that, you put yourself at the mercy of whether or not that person will be disciplined with their finances or not. You put yourself at the mercy of whether or not that person is going to have the resources to do that or choose to put their resources towards that. As Christians, let me say this as well as a side note with a little bit of time that I have left. As a Christian, pay your bills on time. Pay your bills, first of all, but then pay your bills on time, why? Because that's a matter of character. When you're consistently late, it's a character issue. When you're constantly late on paying something, 
It's a character issue. And we live in a day and time now where you can put something on auto draft and never have to worry about it. Pay your bills on time. Why? It's one thing when we're like, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, come to church with me. And they're like, you still owe me two months rent. I, and I saw you spending it on this. And listen, I'm not talking, please hear my heart. I'm not talking about if you're in a compromised situation financially. Get help. Let people help you. Get to a place where you can do that. But some of us need to begin, and we're going to talk more about this, with a budget. And I know some of you, oh, for some of us, that's a curse word. But a budget, know where your dollars are going. Some of you have more money than you think you do. And you know who knows it? Burger King. (laughs) The restaurant knows how much money you have. They see you coming and go, praise God. (laughs) And the person who doesn't know who, who has money or where their money's going is you. And we're going to get to that in a moment, but just going back to this, don't co-sign. Because when you do, you put yourself at the mercy of someone who may or may not have the character to pay that on time. And you hurt your credibility, you hurt your credit, and in some cases you even hurt your witness because you've co-signed with them. And I'm not talking about for your children, okay? Let me, let me clarify something there. The Bible's talking about your friends, people who are maybe even distant relatives, Don't co-sign for them. But when it comes to your children, sometimes you have to because you're helping them build credit and you're taking responsibility. And you know, if I don't and they can't pay it, I'm paying it anyway. And there's, we're talking about younger. (laughs) Somebody was like, praise God, yes, preach. And this is wisdom and this is difficult to hear. But let me say it, when your younger kids are younger, you help set them up for financial success. We'll talk about that later as well. But when your kids are older and they're on their own, stop paying their bills. Stop paying their bills. And if you are here and you've been letting your parents pay your bills, not I'm not talking about seasonally. See, there's a season to step in, there's a season to help. There is definitely a season for that. But when that's the constant pattern and your kid is going off spending their money on everything but their bills that you're paying, it's time to cut them off. Because part of parenting is teaching them responsibility. It's very practical. Last one, last one. Number six, live a self-disciplined life. Live a self-disciplined life. Chapter six, verse six, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. But you lazy bones, Proverbs just comes right at you. You're like, bro, chill. Didn't you just say be kind? I mean, come on. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty, listen to the extreme it goes to. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Listen, don't be mad at me. This is the Bible. This is what the Bible says. A big part of wisdom is self-discipline. Having discipline in your life is a part of wisdom. Wise people are often disciplined people. We say things like, man, I'm just not disciplined like them. But the truth is, we choose not to be disciplined like them. You have the same ability, most of us, to make the same decisions that they make. You choose not to make them. You can choose to live a disciplined life. Solomon says, look at the ants. And what is he saying? He's saying they don't have a prince, they don't have a ruler, they don't have any, a governor. What he's saying is they self-govern for themselves. 
They have an internal self-discipline that allows them to go and do this. We need that. And he says, learn this lesson from them. Have self-discipline. There's, I'll put it like this, most wise people, and I'm closing. Cody, you can come on up. Most wise, successful people have a very unique habit that seems to be a thread amongst most of them. They wake up early in the morning. And that's a very small discipline, but it says a lot. When you discipline yourself to wake up early, there's a lot you can accomplish. When you wake up without the snooze button, which I'm guilty, but when you wake up and you say, I'm gonna get up, and I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna start my day before I quote unquote have to. It allows a sense of self-discipline to become a habit in your life. There's not much that you can accomplish when you're living a self-disciplined life. Let me give you something very practical again. Let me tell you what I do every morning. And I've told you bits and pieces of this. I wake up, same routine, brush my teeth, go to the, my daughter's rooms and close the door because most of everyone is, most mornings, mostly everyone in my house is already a, a still asleep and I get up before them. I let my dog out and like this morning, he runs off sometimes. <laughs> Very practical. I drink a cup, I drink water first thing in the morning. Now, I learned this from my pastor, Pastor Jacob. Years ago, I heard him say this. He said, I don't drink coffee first thing in the morning. And he said, if you wanna know why, have you ever looked inside of the, a coffee mug? That's what your insides look like when you drink coffee with nothing else in your stomach. So the first thing I do, I drink a cup of water. And then I make my coffee and I make my breakfast. And then I seek the face of God. I pray, I see God have an amount of time that no matter what, on any given day, I am going to pray for this amount of time every single day of my life. It's become a discipline in my life. And that, whether I'm going on a hunting trip and I have to be out in the duck blind before the sun comes up, doesn't matter. I'm still gonna do the same discipline every single morning of my life. Why? Because it's my self-discipline. Nobody else can make me do that. But it's something that I've chosen. Well, pastor, that's great. I wish I had all of the time like that to do that. You have the same amount of time as I do, 24 hours in a day. It's what you've chosen to do with it. Self-discipline is wisdom. Set time aside for the things that you need to accomplish, that you need to get done, and live a wise lifestyle. Now, I end with this. I'm ending where we began. Because at the end of these nine chapters, Solomon's getting ready to transition into giving more and more practical wisdom. And he ends this part with this. We're at towards the end of the chapter. Verse 10, chapter 9, verse 10. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. If you want to be wise, ask God for wisdom. Do it His way and fear the Lord. Close your eyes and me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you have something to say not only about the deepest, most spiritual places in our life, but the very practical parts of our lives. You have something to say about our relationships and how we interact with people and how we treat people. You have something to say about our self-discipline. You have something to say about our habits. And I pray that you would make us a wise people, a people who are a shining light, God, people who have character and integrity. I pray that our witness will not just come from our words, but our lifestyle, that people will see you in even our disciplines. Lord, bless your people today. And for those who feel discouraged, like, I don't know if I can do that, encourage them to do it. Give them the grace to step out and to do this. There's no condemnation in Christ. But if we need the help, you'll give it to us if we only ask. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, I'm talking about this wisdom that God gives. 
And that gift, that wisdom is a gift from him that he freely gives. But something else that God freely gives to us that's far more important than even the wisdom to live a life is eternal life. He gives us that through the blood of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm listening to all of these things, but the truth is I'm far away from God. I'm not right with him. I'm not what the Bible calls born again. I want to pray for you and give the opportunity to be born again. Our sin separates us from God, but God wants us to be close to him. And he paid the price for that. So when no one looking around, I want to walk you through a very simple process, as easy as ABC. A, you admit that you're a sinner. B, you believe God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And C, you confess he is the Lord of your life. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I want that. My life needs to be changed. I want to follow Jesus with my life. But no one looking around. On the count of three, I'm asking you to just lift up your hand. And then we're going to all pray a prayer of surrender together. One, two, three. Lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. I see your hand back there. I see your hand back there. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands over there. Wow. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you very much. You can put them down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together as we surrender to God. And as you pray this prayer, Jesus is going to meet you right where you're at. Say this words with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe on the cross that you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, everybody, let's celebrate with everyone that prayed that prayer.